Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Acts to the Ends of the Earth. Over the course of 10 weeks, we'll see how God worked through the apostles and the early church to spread the good news of Jesus coming to save both Jews and Gentiles. Acts shows us how as Christians, we need to be consumed with the love of Christ and seek to transform our community and the entire world by the gospel. I'm Annette, and I have the privilege and honor to serve as a deacon here. And our scripture this morning is coming from Acts 13, 1 through 3. I'm going to use my Bible. It's the same as this one, but it's bigger print. And that <laughs> the other ones we had, I couldn't even begin to read them like glasses. I did try that one, but I'm more comfortable with this, so... Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria was Barnabas, Simon, called the black man, Lucas from Syrian, Maiden, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. On the day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul to the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Receive the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Miss Annette. I have six chapters to get through today. Um, I do want to thank um, our team for, uh, for those who don't know, we were out last week. Uh, we, uh, my daughter came home last Friday, uh, had a fever, um, what just wasn't you know, feeling kind of puny, and she tested positive for COVID. And so for two years, I was like the invincible man. And uh, I was like, well, let me, let me just check. We have a, a ton of vulnerable folks health-wise in our congregation. So I was like, let me, so Kirsten and I tested, and we both tested positive. And I was like, man, I don't feel that bad. Uh, but then I did. Um, it wasn't, it, the symptoms were mild. Uh, we had a headache and that kind of thing. The worst part for Kirsten and I, I don't smell anything. Could be a great thing. It's been great diaper changes. Uh, great diaper changes. Uh, uh, but uh, and all, but I, y'all know I like to eat. It's no secret. It's no shock, Elder Jones, that I like to eat, and I I haven't been able to taste anything. It's been it's kind of, eh. so I thought I would lose some weight. It hadn't happened yet, but um, uh, the and also the two little ones they they we couldn't test them, but they were running fevers. It's like 102, and so but. Uh, man, God was just so faithful. We spent some time at the house for a few days. It is so good to be back in the house of the Lord. I, I, I can't sit at home. I just can't do it. I like seeing your faces. It encourages my spirit to be around you. That's why I th- it's so important to be in church community. And even for those who can't be here in person, to engage online or join in an online small group or somehow stay connected, it is good for your soul to be amongst God's people. It is not something you should skip out on or that should be optional for sure for the Christian. In fact, as we go through the book of Acts, what we find is church attendance is it? It's weird in the U.S. these days. Church attendants are going to church. Everybody's like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. 
Well, you don't see any of that in the New Testament. You don't see any of that. You never see a Christian apart from the body of believers that they worship with on a week-in, week-out basis. It is important. The church is important. I think it's more important now than ever before. And, and as, you, as we look at the church in Ukraine and the ministry they're doing um, and the ministry we do week in and week out on Jeff Davis and abroad in the food pantry, um, the church is important. It's important for you, but it's also the means by which God puts his goodness and, his, and the gospel on display in dark places. So I don't have time really to recap the first seven chapters, but I'll summarize in this way. After Christ um, commanded in Acts 1-8, he tells his disciples, I'm going to send you to uh, here in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. This was the command. Go, right? You've heard the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. This was what Jesus commanded them to do. And so that initially started out. The first seven chapters that we've covered was right in Jerusalem, right in Richmond, okay? And, and look, they, they had some challenges. Um, have you ever faced any challenges? Have you ever tried to do the right thing and it just seems to be war. Everything wants to stop you from doing the things you need to do. Um, that is the brokenness of the world we live in. Um, the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay, um, The devil isn't sitting back seat here. He's trying to pursue and deter you from the things of God. And what we see all through those seven chapters is the gospel put on display. It went from 120 to 3,000-ish to over 8,000, and that's just men. That does not include their wives and kids. So they estimate anywhere from 15 to 25,000 Christians in the matter of, um, well, the whole book takes, takes part over about 30 years. 30 years. And, and that first part, a very brief period of time, thousands coming to know the Lord. And, and what that means is this, is they were putting the gospel on display. And that's what we try to do here every week. We try to put forward this good news that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins and provide a way to reconcile to God. Um, the news, news alert, PSA, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Settle in, settle in. You're a sinner that needs Jesus every day. And um, Paul, oftentimes, as, as, as we look at his letters, he, he puts on display this wrestle between his flesh and, and trying to get his flesh to do what this new man inside of him has been given. Because the scripture tells us that, um, that we are a new creation. Old things have passed, new things have come. This is what happens when you become a Christian. So um, here's what I want to communicate today. 
The message and mission of the gospel knows no borders. Look at your neighbor and say, border. You ever gone somewhere you weren't supposed to go? I'll tell you a story. Me and my brother, we grew up in Charles City. Do you know where Charles City is? It's, 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 okay. Raise your hand if you know where Charles City is. Oh, wow, that's more than I thought. I only had like two people shake your heads. Um, we grew up in Charles City, and it's all back roads, okay? It's all back roads, um, and we got bikes. And so we, but we were told, now we had eight acres in Charles City, big long driveway, plenty of room to ride a bike. And my parents told us, do not, we lived off Barnett's Road, because it's a snaky country road. Do not ride your bikes on the road. Here's the line. Here's the boundary. Don't go past it. Michael knows where this is going. So what's the first thing you do? How can I get on the road? How can I push the border? So we devised a plan. And it was good. So there was Salem Heights was right. There was a little neighborhood like right up the road. So we would say, okay, look, I'm going to stand watch while you go ride down Barnett's Road, hook through Salem Heights and come back. And then I'll go. So I stand watch. My brother Keith um, he goes out, does his little loop. He gets back. <laughs> yeah. And then it's my turn. I go. And I remember pulling back into our driveway and my mom <laughs> was standing on the front porch and my brother was nowhere to be found left me hanging, high and dry, caught the butt whooping of a lifetime. And he was just kind of, oh my gosh, I can't believe he, why would he ever do that? Y'all know anybody like this? It's still an issue. I don't know if he's watching today, but he never apologized for that. Been hanging on to it. No, I'm just kidding. But, and, and I don't know if you do butt whoopings, but we got butt whooped um, growing up. So... Um, so there were borders for us. The gospel and the mission that God has sent us on have no borders. There are no borders. And we're going to see several here in the next. It's going to take me 15 minutes to get us through to 13. You ready? We're going to start in eight. We're going to go to 13. Everybody take it. Grab up here. You ready? Put the seatbelt on. Go ahead. Buckle up. Chapter eight, so where did we leave off last time? Last time, we saw the first Christian martyr, okay? How many of you like stories? Anybody stories? You like watching crazy stuff on TV? Okay, what you're about to see in these six chapters is wild, but what happens at the end of seven is they kill Stephen for proclaiming the gospel. They stone him. 
And chapter 8 starts with this guy, and it says, at the very beginning of chapter 8, it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. We meet this guy named Saul, who was holding all the coats as they stoned Stephen. He's holding the coats, and he approved. And those first few chapters in, or verses in chapter 8 say, Saul went after Christians. He made it his life's goal to squash Christianity. Now, some people would look at Saul and say, man, what a horrible guy. Saul was very studied, very educated, probably one of the most educated amongst his circle. And what he knew about Israel's history is what? Israel had often chased after other gods. Even though he had no ears to hear at the time, and we'll find him find ears, we'll see him find ears in the next chapter. He goes after Christians. Um, Look at verse three of chapter eight. It says, Saul was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, put them in prison. This was Saul. And so Saul has gone on this vendetta to put Christians in prison. And then, this is what happens. You see this even to today. When the church of Jesus Christ, when pressure is applied, the gospel springs out of it. The gospel spreads. And so that's what, that's what actually causes the gospel to leave Jerusalem, right? So they have only been in Jerusalem in the first seven chapters, and this pressure sends people out. We meet this guy in chapter eight named Philip. Philip goes to Samaria and starts proclaiming the gospel. Uh, Samaria is about 30 miles north. Do you guys have that picture, Um, Fred? I think there's a picture in there that I wanted to show folks. Uh, Maybe somewhere around my sermons. I don't know if Kirsten had a chance to get it in. If it's not... Samaria is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And he goes up there, uh, runs into this sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer. Um, Really interesting story. So if you have not been reading, uh, make sure to look at the back of your bulletin so you can keep up with some of the storyline here. And just like the song we sang this morning, he proclaimed the Messiah as Jesus Christ And people responded. They came to know Jesus Christ. What we find out is that uh, as he proclaims the Messiah, demons are leaving people's bodies. Miracles are happening. And so now it is spread out of Jerusalem, 30 miles north into Samaria. And so folks back in Jerusalem hear about this. And so they send Peter and John up to check things out, make sure it's legit. Peter and John get up there. The Bible tells us they find out that this is a good thing. Um, And verse 25 of chapter eight says, so after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages as they left. So uh, Peter and John are now swinging back through, preaching the gospel. Um, We see Philip run into the Ethiopian eunuch, Um, I don't have a ton of time to give you background on the Ethiopian eunuch other than to say um, the spirit sent Philip to meet the eunuch. 
I'm going to take just a brief pause to tell you God could be sending you and leading you by the Spirit to speak to someone. If you've ever felt a nudge to share the gospel with someone and you think, oh, I don't do that, um, you know, that's uncomfortable for me. It could be the Spirit leading you, like Philip, to the Ethiopian eunuch. They start talking about the Old Testament. The eunuch goes, I need to know this Jesus. They pull over on the side of the road and baptize him. Right then and there. He didn't go to baptism class, which I'm, I'm okay with baptism classes. Um, but this was the spread of the gospel. Um, in fact, this is just a, a side note. Any sci-fi folks in here? So, somebody just went. <laughs> I see you. Philip, after the dude gets baptized, okay? Imagine the baptism. Ethiopian eunuch goes under the water, comes back up. The Bible says, look at this. Where is it at? It says it right here in... Um, uh, 39 of chapter 8, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Carried him away. And then look, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. And then verse 40, Philip appeared in Azotus. Can you imagine? He teleported via angel to another town. Okay, well, it was really exciting for me when I read it. Some of you need to grow an imagination. The, the Bible's way more exciting than you're letting on this morning, okay? It's way cooler. Um, so he appears in a town, and he makes his way up the coast. Chapter 9. Um, we kind of flash back to Saul. So we see Philip take the gospel to Samaria and then uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's making his way up the Mediterranean Sea coast, up what's modern-day Israel. Um, and then it flashes over to this other scene, this other picture, where Saul, who's still going after the church, imprisoning Christians, It says, Saul still breathing threats and murder. Everybody say murder. He went to the high priest and he said, hey, I want to go to Damascus and find some Christians. If there's any Christians there, I'm going to drag them out of their homes. I'm going to put them in prison. Um, and, and I noticed this is very interesting. Uh, in verse 2, he requested a letter go to Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way. So before you and I were ever called Christians, you know what we were known by? The way. Did you know that? You didn't know that? Christians were known by their walk. Christians were known, not as Christians, they were known as the way. He wanted to put a stop to the way. Very cool. Um, and so on Saul's way, he's heading up 95. Um, and this would be like traveling from, say, Richmond over uh, northwest, maybe over towards Kilmarnock or something like that. Anybody know where Kilmarnock is? If I said Kilmarnock, 
Or maybe, let's even go maybe up from there, Chincoteague, or kind of up northwest, all that stuff. Nobody, nobody, know, nobody lives up there. I don't know who lives up there, but um, I don't know anybody. Anybody know anyone who lives up there? Yeah, see? Look, we had two people. Um, so he's headed there, and he has, there's this huge, this is huge. This guy who's murdering and imprisoning Christians is on his way to Damascus to do the same. And the Bible says, a light from heaven, chapter nine, verse three, suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his voice, this is how he responded. Look at what he says. He says, who are you, Lord? Isn't that a weird response? You've been knocked off your horse by a bright light and you automatically assume, Lord. Look, Saul said, uh, and, and he, so the voice responds, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He has this wild experience where he sees Jesus. And the Bible says the dudes he's traveling with are super sketched out. They're standing back. He gets up off the ground. He can't see. His eyes are open. He can't see. And so they take him into town. And the Lord speaks to a guy named Ananias. And look, Ananias is my dude. You know why? Because Ananias asked some of the same questions that I would ask. The Lord goes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, Saul of Tarsus is on his way here. I want you to go to him and pray over him so that I can send the gospel to the Gentiles. Ananias goes, pardon one second. I've heard about this guy, Saul. Think about it. Christian Jew, a follower of Jesus Christ, this guy is like, I've heard his story. He's going around killing people. He's going around imprisoning people. And you want me to go to his house and pray for him? And the Lord says, yes. Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so he goes over there and does just that. Ananias prays. The Bible says scales fall off of his eyes. And he can see. And they take him and baptize him. He hung out there in Damascus for a while. Um, verse 18. At once, something like scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, he hung out in Damascus for a while, this Saul, <clears throat> uh, this mercenary, really, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem. If you just left Jerusalem from imprisoning people, imprisoning Christians, okay, imagine, imagine with me, if you can. You ready? Put on your, what is it they used to say? Put on your thinking cap. If someone who just finished arresting and killing some of your friends comes to your barbecue, 
What's your response? Yeah, see, Roger knows. This is exactly what happens. He makes his way back to Jerusalem and he tries to get up in the disciples like, yeah, Jesus. And they're like, we know you. We're super skeptical, bro. Well, Barnabas, you remember Barnabas, right? Barnabas, we've already heard about because Barnabas, you remember um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, um, the ones who got killed for lying, for being hypocrites? Right before that, Barnabas was the one who had given over some land, sold it, and given it. So we know who Barnabas is. Barnabas kind of takes Paul, Saul under his wing and helps him um, kind of get into in with the other apostles. He explains what has happened. The church continues to grow. And chapter 9 ends with more miracles. A crippled dude for eight years gets up and walks. And then... There's this, they, they, there's this lady named Tabitha. Have you heard of Tabitha? It's translated as Dorcas. Any Dorcases in the room? <laughs> Just trying to keep you plugged in here, folks. Um, Tabitha uh, was known in the area for just serving people really well. She dies. She gets sick. She dies. Um, they actually clean her body. They set her up in this upper room. Peter comes over, tells her not to be dead anymore. And she gets up. So is this descriptive or prescriptive? I am not telling you to head to the graveyard and be like, get up. It's as much as some of us would want to. But what it is saying is that God's power was at work amongst his people. To do what? Was the miracle the end game? No. The, gospel, the declaration of the gospel is always. God's glory is always the point. God's glory is always the point. In chapter 10, uh, we move from a geographic spread Boy, I gotta hurry up. Geographic spread to an ethnic spread. Um, we meet a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is not Jewish. He's not Jewish. And in fact, at the time, um, Jewish people didn't, couldn't go into the homes of non-Jewish people, okay? It, it was considered unclean to do so. Well, Peter has this dream, and I don't have tons of time. I was going to talk about this dream a lot because basically the scripture literally says Peter was hungry and he had a vision. Have you ever had a vision while you're hungry? Like you're so hungry, you just think about food. You're like, ah, that's just me? Okay. Well, uh, Peter has this vision that God gives him this vision where he sees all these forbidden animals that he's not supposed to eat. And God says, you now, can, you can have access to them. And Peter's like, whoa, I'm not gonna eat any, I'm not gonna eat this bacon sandwich. You like bacon? Hey, I thank God for this scripture. I mean, it's not really talking about bacon, but basically what it's talking about is um, God has told Peter, uh, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, no, I, I can't eat those animals. They're unclean. Jewish history would say, I cannot, 
I cannot go there. He said, no, Lord. And then the Lord said, what, um, and a second time the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. And so I don't know if he comes out of this trance looking for a bacon sandwich, but I can tell you that what happens when he comes out of this trance is that someone shows up at his door and is like, hey, I need you to go to this non-Jewish house that before he would have never entertained going to. He goes to Cornelius' house. Man, I love the Cornelius story because he gets into Cornelius' house. He says, I'm not even, I wouldn't normally be here, but God has sent me here. Here's the good news of the gospel. And, and, and what the story says is that while he is preaching, let me read it to you. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came down and all those who heard the message on all of them. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You see, the mission and the message of God has no, it has no borders. It crosses geographic lines. It crosses ethnic lines. And then Peter spends all of chapter 11, I'm going to kind of breeze through real quick, defending this. He gets back to Jerusalem and they're like, you did what? You went into a Gentile's house? And so Peter explains this dream that says, hey, listen, God has made this happen. God has made a way for even those we think are unfit for his grace. God says, yes. God says, yes. He baptizes them. In chapter 12, we, we see James get killed Peter ends up in jail. Cool part about this Peter in jail story, Peter's already been in jail twice. How many of you have been in jail twice? I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Peter's already been in jail twice, and the, and the Lord got him out. I'm sure there are many people in prison today wishing that the Lord would send an angel to drop the shackles and walk out. So because of this, um, this time they arrest Peter and they say, okay, we're putting four squads of people on you. You're not getting out this time. Peter, the, the story's wild. Peter is sitting between two guards and angel shows up in the middle of the night, says, hey, get up. The shackles fall off of him. He walks them out. The guards never wake up. The doors open for them. He gets out of prison. James dies, Peter is in prison, and then let out. And then we find uh, in 24 and 25, at kind of the end here of this chapter, it says, but the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had um, completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking with them John, who was called Mark. And then we arrive at the text that Miss Annette read today, which is, and this is going to kind of be it. This is, I'm going to kind of land the plane here. They're about to go on a missionary journey. Let me depict to you who's in the room. We find there's Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, 
Mannion, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Five guys, and what are they doing? They're worshiping the Lord and fasting together. Now, if you just take their names at face value, you're gonna be like, cool, five guys praying and fasting together. Here's what you might not know. Barnabas, we've known as a, as a good guy, a faithful follower of Christ, kind of an encourager. Do you know any encouragers? They would be like Barnabas. But let me tell you about a couple of these other people. We don't know much about Simeon or Lucius, but let me tell you about Mannion. He was a companion of Herod the Tetrarch. Do you know who Herod the Tetrarch? So he's buddies with Herod. Herod the Tetrarch. Let me tell you a story about Herod, tell you what kind of guy he was. Herod the Tetrarch had a thing for his stepdaughter. He had a thing for his stepdaughter. Sick guy, twisted brain. He had her come in and dance for him. and He got all drunk and and uh, was being wooed by his stepdaughter. And so he asked his stepdaughter, he says, hey, I'll give you anything you want. You know what his stepdaughter said? I want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And that's what he got. He got John the Baptist's head on a platter for her. His buddy Mannion was in this group of five. Why is this important? These five guys would not be the five guys you'd put in a room together. A former murderer and guy who was against Christians, a really good Christian, faithful Christian guy, um, uh, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, um, basically just telling us that he, he was black. And then um, Lucius of Cyrene, this Manian, and then Saul. These five guys in no other circumstance would be together. Only the gospel can do that. Look around this room. Look around this room. Yeah, it's okay. Y'all are nervous like you're gonna make eye contact with somebody. <laughs> Outside of these walls, many people would say, what? how do these people get together? What could you, under many other circumstances in our culture, many of us would never end up in the same room. We have rich, we have poor, many ethnicities in the room, many religious backgrounds in the room, raised all kinds of different ways. Some of us were butt whooped, some of us wouldn't, weren't, wouldn't. The unity the gospel brings is something only the gospel can do. I want to talk, uh, we see all through 13, they send Paul out on his first missionary journey. Um, they go town to town telling everybody about the gospel. People are coming to know him and um, they face some hard hearts they got kicked out of towns. Verse 52, the last verse in 13 says, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I wanna talk, I wanna tell you four things very quickly. 
When I say the mission, the message of the gospel has no borders. It's geographic. We've seen that in all six of these chapters. We see 14, he continues his journey. They're planting churches. Uh, We see at the end of 14, at every place they land, they get some elders together, they plant a church. They're church planters. That's, That's many of the reasons why we don't have modern day apostles like Paul or like Peter and John. We don't. But the gift, we see apostleship as one of the gifts listed as a gift that one can have. We assign, we would consider church planners someone having that gift. We wouldn't say that you're necessarily one of the original apostles, but we would say you, we, you may have the gift of planting churches in places where the gospel is not. Let me be very clear today. The message and mission of the gospel has no borders. There aren't certain countries where the gospel won't work. There aren't certain parts of town that the gospel is a lost cause. This is important. I know you don't think about it. And and the reason I say that is because I, I oftentimes don't think about it. But some of us think that we should, that there are certain... You would never say this with your mouth, so let me, let me, let me back up. You're, you're, too, you're too Christian to say it, <laughs> well, maybe. Um, but some of us won't go to certain parts of town. Okay, listen. Look, some of the sinfulness in you is already rubbing. You're like, I'm not coming back to this church. There aren't certain parts of town that deserve the gospel and others that don't. There's not countries that deserve the gospel and countries that don't. It overcomes every geographic border that we would set. It overcomes cultural boundaries. That includes ethnicities that don't look like you. That includes the LGBTQ community. Some of you are so pushed away by the sinfulness of the LGBTQ community that you ignore your own sin and think that the gospel can't go there. The gospel can go there. The gospel overcomes, there there are no borders for the gospel. We put the hurdles there. You realize that? Oh God, that we would not be people that set up hurdles to the gospel. That you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, achieve a certain type of holiness before Jesus can take your heart. Jesus can take any heart in any place at any time. At any time. You don't have to get to a certain place for Jesus to love you. The gospel talks about that here because the people in Samaria, those Gentile, Cornelius' house, those were people that the religious folks would never approach. You think a prostitute up the street can't know the gospel? Oh yeah, 
The gospel shines light in dark places. We oftentimes look at other people and other ethnicities and like if they were more like me, then they'd be in a better place. Then I could get them the gospel. The gospel takes and, and, and gets to people right where they are. Church, I'm telling you, we gotta get better at this. We have got to get better at removing hurdles to the gospel. If you go to tell someone about the gospel, um, but you, you, you step back or you don't even have relationship with them because they're divorced or because they're not living the life that you would deem, you don't want to approach the young mom you don't, that, that has a kid, you don't, you don't want to do relationship with folks like that, and all of a sudden you want to create a hurdle to the gospel, get your life together and then come to church with me. That's not the way it goes. And that's not what we see here in these six chapters. I've got to close. Geographic borders, gone. Cultural borders, gone. Personal borders, gone. These five guys are sitting in the same room. They would never have been in the same room except for the goodness of God in the gospel. Bringing them together. There may be people in your life that you would say, oh, I can never work with them. The gospel would say otherwise. The gospel would say otherwise. Lastly, there are no geographic borders to the gospel. We see that in the text. There's no cultural borders to the gospel. We see that in the text. It's crossing every border. There's no personal borders that the gospel can't mend. And there's no past that the gospel can't overcome. I look at the life of Paul. And, and some of us will sit here today. This, this is what's crazy. A lot of us will sit here to say and say, man, Paul really was just rebellious against Christ. He really was warring against the Christian um, community. And we will ignore our own rebellious hearts. If not for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I was Saul. To this day, similar to what Saul would tell us in, 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 in letters down the line, I am, it is a, progre we, we believe in progressive sanctification. You know what that means? I am looking more and more like Christ each and every day. And so what that means is I have to see in my own flesh the sinfulness, repent of the sin, put it to death in my life, Mortify the flesh and keep pursuing after him. Listen, I don't know what your past looks like. Many of us would never talk about it in this room. But Jesus Christ knows. And we've talked about this over and over again, that the greatest thing about the gospel is that it fully knows you and fully loves you at the same time. 
pulls you out. I would say the gospel today is asking you. I don't don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years. The gospel today is wooing you to drop every border. Drop every border. If you think it's just a certain area that God has called you to, drop the borders. If there are certain people or types of people that you maybe wouldn't share the gospel with, or you won't say that out loud, but you maybe wouldn't go around, I would, look, I would encourage anyone in this room to go out on a Thursday night and go visit the hotels with us. It is a life-changing experience. It will disciple you in a way when someone opens up the door and, 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 and you shower them with God's love and pray over them. It doesn't matter what they look like or where they've come from or what their past has been. The gospel meets them right there at that hotel door. And if you've come in today or you're watching online and you would say, I don't know, Carl, if God can save me because of my past. You don't know my past, pastor. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I funk. That's what my dad would have said. You don't know. You don't know. You know who knows? God knows. You're not hiding anything from him. And he loves you all the same. Romans tells us, while we were yet, one of my favorite verses all the Bible, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you right where you are today. And he's beckoning you. If you don't know the Lord, today's the day. Give him what you got. Just say, hey, listen, I I am a sinner and I see it. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I want to submit my life to him. If you're a Christian in the room today, and I hope that you just feel the gospel wooing you to get to work. I hope you feel it wooing you not to be content where you're sitting, but to go after those whom the world would leave to the side. That you would go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, with the good news that Jesus Christ today, today saves sinners. And I know that because he is saving me. He's saving me. Today, he's saving me. He is working it out in my heart. And and look, Christian, if you haven't felt that feeling in a while, he is saving you today. He is working it out. He can do it. The gospel does it. And we've said this a couple different times in this series. The gospel doesn't just save us when we say the prayer. It saves me today. It'll save me tomorrow. It'll keep saving me until the day he returns. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.